entered the Paracast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. You know, David, it's not often that I read selected segments from Jim Mosley's Saucer Smear. Okay. Why do you get that and I don't? How does that work? You're not a non-subscriber. Oh, I'm, a, I'm not a non-subscriber. That's right. You have to become a non-subscriber. Uh-huh. And, and then I can non-subscribe and read it. That's right. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to become a non-subscriber to Saucer Smear from Jim Mosley, he doesn't mind me mentioning this address. It's P.O. Box 1709, Key West, Florida, 33041. Except to become a non-subscriber, Jim is going to want you to maybe give a non-contribution. Uh, okay. Non, Non-currency. That's right. A non-contribution. Uh-huh. Yes, that's that's one of so the issues. What did you read? What did you read in UFO Schmear then, Gene? Okay, so from Saucer Smear with a bagel. Sorry, Saucer Schmear. All right, all right, all right. Okay. See, if I was a non-subscriber, I would get the name right. But that's I'm not, right. So okay, so you're a non-non-subscriber. Uh, I see. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and here's how we frame our conversation. Okay. Most of us remember Billy Meyer. The one-armed Swiss contactee who has been the producing hundreds of too-good-to-be-true UFO photos since the 1970s. Here, I don't want to mention his name. Yeah, let's not say his name. Uh, a, a hardcore supporter presents Meyer's unusually controversial wedding cake photo, and they show it on the right, together with a model of it made by skeptic Jeff Ritzman. Hmm. The pictures are not identical, but somehow neither one looks like a real flying saucer. Now, the one final sentence I'm going to read is going to make you jump off that seat. All right, go ahead. David, you ready? ready. Sit down, put your seatbelt on. I'm no correct. one has ever properly explained how Billy Meyer takes his photos, especially having only one arm. Weird. Oh, God. All right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, sit up. Let's hear. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear your response. Right, Jeff, with two arms, somehow was able to make images, photographs that look every bit as compelling, if not more compelling, than the Meyer photos. And that's actually how I came to find or encounter uh, Jeff Ritzman. It was it was on the internet, Gene, on uh, ATS, Above Top Secret, which is a really great discussion forum. Gene, it, it's, it's better than ours, I have to tell you. It's also been around a lot longer than ours. It's probably the most important discussion board for conspiracy stuff on the planet Earth. And Jeff is very well known on that forum because he took up the challenge from He Who Shall Not Be Named and was able to create from scratch very convincing photos that look just like the Meyer stuff. In fact, I think they look better, as do other people. And the Ritzman went up against these guys and said, look, I, I've been able to reproduce these, and I'm just one guy. And, uh, of course, he was attacked by them and denigrated by them like they did to us. But um, I found Ritzman and his incredible thread tearing these guys apart on ATS, and uh, I contacted him because of what we were going through with the Meyer folks. And I started talking to Jeff. And this is where things got really interesting, Gene, because Jeff has been fascinated by the realm of the paranormal, especially UFOs, for a long time. Uh, like us, he got into this when he was young. And uh, after a number of conversations with Jeff, very intense, very in-depth conversations, and I'm not going to really talk about that yet. We're going to let Jeff introduce himself, but uh, he's going to talk to us about his experiences, not only in the realm of UFOlogy, but also his, his background in paranormal stuff that, I have to tell you, 
is uh, is pretty intense. And and, I, and I'll say this about Jeff, and our listeners will find this out tonight. He's an incredibly believable, incredibly credible person who I think has uh, witnessed some genuine stuff. And I, I, I'm really excited that we're going to have him on the show. Would you classify him as a skeptic at all? Well, Gene, I, I'll tell you this. I feel that he is, much like myself, a person who has had experiences. It's hard to say what's genuine or not, but he has had experiences that have made him question the nature of this whole field and, and has made him very curious about understanding what's really going on. He's a very smart guy, and I think that you could categorize him as an intelligent, skeptical thinking person who wants to understand the realm of the paranormal, just like I know I do. It is odd that this Meyer case just won't go away. Every time I think we've done with it, the message boards start acting up again. More and more people discuss it. In fact, one of the latest figures to talk about it is my first wife, Geneva. <laughs> she, she's a great lady, very smart, very intelligent writer. And she is in there participating in our forums. And that surprised the heck out of me. And even that other word with the H on it. But mm -hmm. it just never goes away. And I never expected Jim Mosley to ever mention <laughs> Billy Meyer in our lifetime. I thought this was kind of a dead issue for him. But guess what? It's back. And I suspect it's back, even though it's not mentioned in Mosley's little blurb here, because of this radio show. I'd like to think so. I think so myself. Jim, however, can't hear it. He doesn't have a personal computer. <laughs> We'll have to send him cassettes. I'll tell you what. I'll send him a cassette of the show if he sends me his magazine or his newsletter. I'll oh. tell you what. Tell you what. You what? write him at P.O. Box 1709, Key West, Florida, 33041. That's Jim Mosley. And his publication, ladies and gentlemen, it's called Saucer Smear. And this is not a commercial ad, okay? Jim only asks people to send a dollar or two per issue or something just to well, justify publishing yeah. it. He does not use a personal computer to produce it. He uses a real typewriter, and he goes to the printer, and he puts it together, and the printer takes a picture of his typing and the photographs he pastes oh, in, my. just like we did it in the 1960s and the 1970s. He still has bottles of whiteout laying around, too. Oh, in the I'm days sure that I work does. with Jim Mosley, I assure you, we yeah. bought that thing in case lots. Oh, boy, there you go. It's keeping the monkeys in money. Yes, of course. People wondering what that means, of course, is oh, that... Oh, the Michael Nesmith thing. They can find it on the Internet. We don't have to talk. We don't want to go to it. By the way, there is a website where you can find the contents of Saucer Smear. It's not always on time. It may be a few weeks behind, but it's called martiansgohome.com slash smear. Oh, but what if they're coming here because this is their home and we're actually just uh, keeping keeping it warm for them, Gene? Maybe the Martians are coming back home here and this is home and we actually live on the moon. Yes. That's we're doing possible. this to the poor Martians. We're going to take away their home. We're taking away the homes of the Martians. A reminder that if you want to get in touch with us about UFOs, also about some other subjects we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, more into cryptozoology, more about ghosts and stuff, send it to news at theparacast.com, news at theparacast.com. And if you visit our forums at theparacast.com, theparacast.com, visit our forums. We have a special page now called Introductions where you tell us 
us about yourself, okay? We can learn how you got interested into these crazy subjects, why you're pursuing it, and all that stuff, and give your beliefs. And we have dozens and dozens and dozens of different messages. On the Michael, ooh, I don't want to say that don't name. Don't say it. Don't you almost said it? Oh, On the Zip Zip. Right. Billy Meyer forum. Oh, there you go. Over 500 messages on that subject alone. Oh, boy. It, now, I want to start a forum on Halva. Who? On Halva. On, on, the, on the incredible, cryptic, and mysterious powers of the most magical substance known to mankind, Halva. Yes. Well, there you go. I think Halva is magical. A little fattening, though, right? Doesn't matter. It's magical. Sometimes magical things expand your worldview and your waistline. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> so once again, ladies and gentlemen, next you're going to hear from Jeff Ritzman. He's a graphic artist, a UFO researcher, and is he a skeptic or not? You'll we'll find out. Yes, you'll find that out yeah. coming up on the Paracast. I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore. She came to Earth to conquer our planet. He traveled to the future to conquer her heart. Experience the adventure of a lifetime. Attack, Attack of the, the Rockoids. The critics are raving about Attack of the Rockoids. One reviewer writes, The father and son writing team of Gene and Grayson Steinberg have written a marvelous, fast-paced story of interstellar warfare and star-crossed love. The battle scenes are so descriptive, you can see the spaceships explode and be consumed by gigantic balls of flame. I enjoyed this story and the authors say there is more to come about the characters and the future world of the Rockoids. Fans of Star Wars and Star Trek will enjoy this story and look forward to many more adventures of Ray and Xanther. That's Attack of the Rockoids. Order your copy direct from Amazon Books or check out a sample chapter and get a special discount on your copy direct from www.rockoids.com. That's www.rockoids.com. Attack of the Rockoids in the grand and science fiction tradition. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. So, Jeff, earlier in the show, I was reading a section from Jim Mosley's famous publication, Saucer Smear, yeah. where he refers to you as a skeptic. Are you, are you a UFO skeptic? Yes. Okay. Yes, no question. Um, I think, by and large, um, just from reading enough stuff online and, and talking to enough people over the years, I think I more or less I, I got a healthy dose of, of people that I didn't believe were telling the whole truth, just purely on the virtue of what I've experienced myself. Um, so I guess I'm looking at it from kind of a selfish angle in certain ways. But by and large... Um, I don't believe that the um, the commonly put forth view of, of what a UFO sighting or an experience goes for uh, out in public view is necessarily either all of the story or even in some cases the truth of the story. I think a lot of times when you read something online that someone has written, uh, be it uh, an experience or quote unquote or even just a sighting, I think that in a lot of times, in a lot of situations, and I've told David this before as well, that I think I think a lot of people leave a lot of things out that they don't necessarily believe are credible to everyone. In other words, I think they I think a lot of people tend to water down a story in order to make it seem like it was a believable incident, whereas the 
reality of the incident was uh, far more odd and far more weirder than they would care to admit. That sounds like the reverse, Jeff, of what I usually hear, which is that a lot of people inflate their encounters. So would you well, explain? I, I think that happens as well. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think if you look at a standpoint of something, uh, let's look at uh, <laughs> we won't bring up the most popular conversations oh, that oh, Dave no. and I have had here lately. <laughs> I don't but, think there's uh, any way to get around it. Just don't mention the H word, okay? No H no, word. No, we, we don't discuss that part. But, I mean, if you look at, 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 the, at the Meyer case in general, you know, there's certainly nothing as far as I'm concerned that has convinced me that anything in that case is the truth. Not one thing. In as much as that, can we say concretely that Billy Meyer never had a UFO experience ever? No. No. In fact, I am of the opinion that at some point in his life, perhaps very long early in his life, he may have actually seen something. However, I think that might have put the idea into his head to create this so-called religion that he is, you know, invariably concocted uh, to go from there. And 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 being as, as as involved in this subject as I am, it's really easy to pick these people out. I mean, it's 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 very easy to see what the motivations are for telling such a story. But on the other hand, so you've got the you've got the opposite effect, where some people, I believe, are in effect dumbing down their story to make it more believable. In other words, if if uh, if you saw a, a floating semi-tractor trailer in the air one day and it moved faster than any airplane and it stopped over your house, who's going to believe that? You know what I'm saying? But I have had people tell me this that they have seen such things. You know, and, and I think that that speaks volumes as to possibly what we're dealing with. I think this is the kind of thing that people don't always want to talk about because it casts so much more doubt upon their story. Um, and I really think that that's, the, that's where the details are. That's where the, the, uh, the person who's viewing the phenomenon actually can um, more or less, the, the details of it is what I'm getting at, the absolute details of something that someone has seen or experienced is, is ultimately what's going to make me believe or not believe them. The devil's uh, in the details. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're listening to the devil's in the details on the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Tonight, we're very thrilled to have on, as our very special guest, Jeff Ritzman, a UFO enthusiast and someone who has some very unique thoughts about this topic and has a long-time interest in, uh, in various aspects of the paranormal. Jeff, a recurring theme on the show is that people who tend to be involved with this get involved at a very young age. What happened to you? Or can you give us an idea of what you experienced at a young age that let you know that reality was perhaps more complex than it appears to be? You know, it wasn't, I, I can't think of a, of a, I can think of the pinnacle point where I knew that there was something odd going on, but as a as a little kid, maybe five or six years old, uh, I had some really bizarre and, uh, and and truthfully pretty horrifying uh, experiences as a kid that uh, I never really equated to being anything UFO related or quote unquote alien related. And I can give you just one simple scenario that was pretty much. Uh, uh, the the evenings, uh, as it were, of my ages between five and nine years old, 
mm-hmm. just like any kid, I never wanted to go to bed when I was told. Uh, I remember that uh, my my curfew bedtime was about nine nine thirty, and mom would put me to bed. And I lived in suburbia. This wasn't a rural place. This was suburbia. Mom would put me to bed about nine. Uh, and to give you a sense of of what, what the room layout was, uh, I had a closet at the foot of my bed. I had a door to my right and a window to my left. Occasionally, I'd stay up and read a book. I, I, at that point in my in my in my young years, I was reading, you know, big printed books and and had just not, you know, learning was new at that point and it was still exciting. Now, when I read, I go to sleep, or I'd stay up and play with toys and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I always had a nightlight that was on uh, in the bathroom, which was adjacent to my room, and the light would come in that way. I know that more or less between five and six years old, I was up one night, I was awake, and uh, in the dark, I, I started, the only way I know to explain this is that I started to see a small white dot in the middle of my vision that I could not get away from. I could not shut my eyes, I could not look away from it. Any place I looked, it was there. I personally believe, looking back on it now, that this was totally an internal uh, thing for me. At least this portion of it was internal uh, to my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a physical and, manifestation. And, and not absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, not when you shut your eyes and you look away and, and that kind of thing. And as I sat there, I rubbed my eyes a couple of times. And as I rubbed my eyes and I looked up again, it was getting larger. As I sat there... I more or less kept my eye on it because there was no way to look away from it. But I remember being incredibly fearful that something was happening to me, and I didn't know what. But I remember associating those first feelings with just absolute horror. But at the same time, I never made a, I, I never made a sound. I never said a word. I never screamed for anybody. But I remember that as I sat there, this small dot was actually a square. And it was very small, and it was rotating uh, in a clockwise, like a, like on a pinwheel. And as it got closer, or you say bigger in perspective, you could definitely tell it was a square. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www dot f-a-t-e-m-a-g dot com what are you waiting for your fate awaits you're in the paracast with gene steinberg and david biedney you never know what's going to happen next Just a reminder, if you want to get a hold of us here at the PowerCast, send your email to news at thepowercast.com. That's news at thepowercast.com. We also invite you to visit our online forums. Go to thepowercast.com and click on the links to our message forums 
we welcome you aboard. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we've got to do this business about every 10 minutes or so. We're talking to UFO investigator Jeff Ritzman, telling us about a childhood experience where he definitely was not a square. No. <laughs> uh, no, but it, there was one there. Uh, at any rate, I... Uh, as I as I sat there, it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and my heart beat faster and faster and faster, to the point that I honestly can't say to you guys, either one or anyone else listening, that I can remember how that ended, other than instead of having a blackout, it was more like a whiteout. And it seemed like a short amount of time, of span of time, went by between whiting out, essentially, and waking up again in what I thought was my bed, uh, but it is completely silent. I can see absolutely no door. I can see no window, no closet, and no light whatsoever. Uh, it is so quiet, it's deafening. It's so quiet. And as I open my eyes, my bed sheets, which were either white or maybe like your 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 average what mom would put on your bed as a kid, you know what I mean? Maybe your uh, uh, small printed sheets or what have you. They were there was no blanket, there was no anything. I had a single black sheet on top of me, literally so tight that I could not move. And it wouldn't have made any difference if the sheet had been there or had not been there. I would not have been able to move anyway. At that point, there's also a blue light that is streaming down on me, whatever I'm laying on, the sheets, that's coming from the point just above and behind my head. And this light, I cannot explain it to you in any way that's going to make any sense other than it was so incredibly intense that you could see dust floating in the air. It was that bright, but blue. And I remember this kind of feeling of, like, I would assume almost the kind of feeling that would be like uh, you were in a hospital or that you were in, like, an operating theater. You you could palpably feel that there were people around you, even though you could not see past this light. You could not see out of it. This was going on every night? This happened every night between ages 5 and 9. Every night. Okay, at some point you had to mention this to your parents, right? I did, absolutely. Absolutely. What Uh, was the response? uh, You're dreaming. It's not real. Uh, Just close your eyes the next time it happens and tell yourself it's not real. As any parent would do. I mean, hello, this is not, you know, that far out of what a little kid would would dream at times. Or so I thought. I was like, yeah, they're probably right. I'm just dreaming. That was until, you know, the night where I was actually able to sit up from the waist up, and I grabbed the sheet, and I pulled it off of me, and I held it up to my face, and I said, this sheet is black, that light is blue, and I am not dreaming. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I, would, uh, I could not yell. I could not get a word out. And there were variables within that scenario that um, – in the presence of seeing someone moving around the edge of the light, just barely in it. Uh, I remember at one point there were a pair of hands that uh, came towards my left leg one night that had uh, very long, very knobby fingers uh, with 
what appeared to be, I can't be positive because the light being blue, it, it, it affects the color of everything mm-hmm. that I saw. But it looked to be black fingernails. Not excessively long, but longer than, you know, long, certainly longer than my nails were, but a little bit longer than what a lady's nails would have been at that time. I was, I mean, I can't, to say horror is such a watered down, <laughs> such a watered down word. Um, you were terrified. What, right, I mean, I mean it, there's no words. I have no words for it. Um, just bone crushing horror uh, at seeing something outside the light coming to me. I can't see anything but its hands. And its hands are freaking me out, to be quite honest about it. I don't remember anything after that. After that, I remember nothing. Uh, I'd wake up the next morning and go on about my day. Uh, physical manifestations, Jeff? I mean, did you notice anything, scars in your body, any kind of a physical artifact? Not that I could not that I could remember now to tell you about because, truthfully, it just wasn't something I ever looked for. Um, there may have been, but I can't think of one instance where somebody said, how'd you get that, or, or, or some horrible scar or something like that. can't ever remember having anything like that. You know, there were there were uh, a couple of other variables that really weren't much more impactful than that. At one point, I remember seeing some pipes uh, to my right, just out of touch of the light. I could just barely see them, uh, and uh, I remember that they were dirty-looking pipes. They were rusty-looking. Uh, I mean, this is this is genuinely weird stuff. But this was this was literally every night. I mean, I can't stress that enough. That every single night. Uh, I, I grew to expect it. I mean, I grew to the point where the white square didn't bother me anymore. I grew to the point where I was almost uh, able to look at the source of the blue light, but just barely look at it, uh, to where I could just barely move my neck to crane my head back and look and see what it was. And it, to truthfully, it just looked like an ordinary flashlight head uh, that was perched just above my headboard. I mean, it was there. Uh, could I touch it? No. Could I look at my hands sometimes? Yeah, I could pick my hands up and actually look at my hands in the light, um, things like that. But um, uh, all that stopped uh, on my ninth birthday. Just stopped. It started on your sixth birthday or close to it? Uh, around between, no, it started around between the ages of five and six. And truthfully, I can't, I can't remember the exact age it was, but I know it was between five and six. Okay. Uh, but at... Uh, at nine, I remember having, you know, my birthday party, which was in the evening. And I remember after all my friends had gone home, I remember going to bed, watching some TV, and, and helping mom clean up and what have you. And I went to bed. And at that point, I moved into a larger room. Lucky and you. Being, yeah, I was, I was kind of lucky because mom and dad had three bedrooms, so I got a bigger room. Um and I remember being in this room, and again, I wasn't tired. I didn't feel like going to sleep. It's only 9.30. And I remember getting caught by mom and dad, who were getting ready to turn in for the night because my dad had to get up for work the next day. Uh, I remember my mom saying, you get yourself to sleep. Put that down and go to sleep. And I, I can't remember what I was playing with, but obviously something I got for my birthday. And I remember it was kind of neat being in this room because I could hear mom and dad's secret conversations from my bedroom. I could hear mom and dad talking about, you know, um, how I was doing in school or this is what this teacher said to him today or blah, blah, blah. And um, that was always like a really funny thing for me. And I remember this particular night, I remember my mom and dad talking and I was laying there on my back 
and I, I remember Mom laughing a little bit, and I remember Dad saying something. And at the, all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, at this point, the windows are on my right-hand side. There was the biggest flash, like heat lightning, but times 100 outside. And at that point, Mom and Dad weren't talking anymore. It was like somebody flicked a switch off. And, and I thought that was a little weird, so I said, Mom? And there was no answer. And I yelled it louder, and there was still no answer. And at that point... I thought I heard somebody walking down the hallway, and uh, you could you could clearly hear footsteps on the carpet. That's that's swishing sound of feet coming down the car down the hallway. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. I know you want to hear the end of this, ladies and gentlemen, but I have to tell everybody you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, UFO researcher. Jeff Ritzman joins us, and he's describing a series of extraordinary paranormal encounters that he had when he was a child. Oh, boy. The things that nightmares are made of. That point of hearing... Uh, someone walked down the, the carpet from the hallway, I, I have to be totally honest about it and say I, I don't remember being afraid. I don't remember hmm. being scared about it. I remember being more, more or less kind of curious about what was going on. And again, the whole house, uh, pin drop silence. Huh. Um, there were no more light flashes. There were no, there was no white square. There was no paralyzation or black sheets or anything of such a sort of weirdness. But I did see a man come into my room, around about four and a half foot tall, I would say. Not particularly white skin, but more like, let's say more like the uh, a medium brown color, more or less. Hmm. And he had a hat on. Now, I'm not sure how politically correct this is going to be, but the hat was very much like what you would see people in, in, uh, in Asian countries where they wear the big sun-blocking hats that are pointy, like the rice paddy-looking hats. And I don't know what they're called. That's, not, that's the only problem. Uh, this was very similar to that, only that it was rounded out a little bit more, and it looked to be made of a bronze type of material. It was, it was brushed reflective, I used to, used to say, to like a brushed mm-hmm. aluminum, but it was a brushed <coughs> bronze. Hmm. And uh, I remember, I remember thinking, uh, okay, you know, what, what is this all about? Again, I was not afraid. Uh, there was almost a familiarity about this thing that 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 I had, and I, and I can't explain. I can't. I don't have an answer for that. But he walked over beside the bed, and I went to say, "Who are you?" And he put his fingers up to his lips, like he was going to say, like he was going to shush me. And I just stopped talking. And he came over and uh, got beside the bed. And at this point, I had pushed the covers off, and I was up on my knees uh, sitting on the bed. And uh, I'm watching him. It's pretty fascinating looking. And he puts his hands, palms, hands up to me, uh, uh, palms up to my face, as if to say, nothing in my hands. And 
and then he brought him away as if he was going to clap him together. And when he did clap them together, which is exactly what he was going to do, and he did, when he clapped them together, the only way of describing it is as if somebody had a gong the size of a Mack truck and blasted it in your face. Uh, with that, the the fear, the, the bone-numbing fear uh, hit me. I remember falling backwards, and then I don't remember anything else. But that was absolutely the end of those ages roughly five to nine years old that was the end of those kind of scenarios at night that was the final one and i didn't recognize what this guy was uh until way way much later in life when uh whitley streber's book came out and when that book came out uh my wife practically had to carry me out of the bookstore because i you know then i knew what the other people saw this. It wasn't just me, you know. Uh, I carried that around for years and never told a soul about it. Mm. Uh, much less be on a program like this to talk about something so bizarre. But uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is that those memories that I just relayed to you are, uh, unfortunately, some of my most potent and strong memories of being a kid. And in a way, that's kind of sad, but in a, in, it's the truth. I mean, those are, I can remember his face like it was yesterday. Did uh, you undergo hypnotic regression at any point here, or is this I, something that you I, just naturally remembered? Uh, I remembered since the night it happened. <laughs> um, I, don't, uh, I don't subscribe to the hypnosis regression or anything like that. If you, you know, if I can't remember it directly, and just like I'll remember talking to you today, tomorrow, I don't need to remember it. That's kind of my theory on that. I don't. I don't have any desire to to be hypnotized and possibly be led into a scenario that didn't happen. And I guess that's where the skeptical nature of me comes out. A lot of people really believe strongly in that. I don't. Uh, and I've talked to enough health professionals that have told me, you know, it, it um, that in their opinion, it was not a viable way to recover memories of things that you can't remember. So, what do you so, think about these abduction researchers who run around hypnotizing people? And we start, of course, with. Betty and Barney Hill. Right. I don't put a lot of stock in uh, in, in any of that, uh, just because that the the area of the brain that I'm told they're dealing with when they deal with hypnosis and regression is uh, also an area that's prone to suggestion very heavily, and it's also prone to fantasy scenarios. Even though it's a pretty horrible thing to fantasize about, I mean, I've heard. Uh, uh, regression tapes from different folks, and and uh, and in my opinion, in, in in more than a few cases that I listened to, they, people were the, the 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 therapist was directly saying, "What do you see? Do you see mm-hmm. beings? Do you see aliens?" That's leading somebody. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, when you start diddling with somebody's memories in that way, in that respect, you're fundamentally you're fundamentally changing who this person is by changing their memory. I don't need that. <laughs> Uh, what I remember, I remember, uh, and it's been a part of my life my whole life. And, and I, uh, uh, what I cannot remember, I choose not to. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like something I wouldn't want to remember. I hate to say it that way, but it's the truth. I mean, if, if I can't recall it, then chances are it's either A, too hard for me to try to remember, or there was, you know, there's nothing to hmm. remember. You know, I mean, whatever that may mean, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but whatever it is, there's a reason I can't recall it. 
but I can recall quite a bit. So <laughs> I don't know that I'm ready or wanting any more than what I can already uh, contain, you know. I mean, there's so much over the years. So, Jeff, that was the last experience of that type at age nine. Yeah. What? Okay, and that sounds like a pretty spectacular end to that series of experiences. What happened then? Well, I grew up. <laughs> um, <laughs> life pretty much uh, went on as normal. Um, I remember that it wasn't too much longer after my ninth birthday that I was out in front of Mom and Dad's house playing with a couple friends. And, uh, you know, again, just to give you a feel for, for how this, this is laid out, so you can maybe picture it in your head, uh, I'm in the front lawn. There's a road in front of the house, of course, and then across the street is another row of houses, just like any suburban street. Mm-hmm. To the right, uh, over the neighbor's house, two doors down and to the right of the front of our home is a large patch of woods that's not very not very big at all. Um, uh, the woods aren't, it's not like it's an acreage or anything like that. It's strictly maybe just a small little suburban patch of woods there. And as I was out in front, I was standing in the driveway uh, in front of the, the garage door and I noticed that over top of these trees was this red ball. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. This is The Paracast, with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen next. I'll tell you what, I've got to put you on hold for a second and tell our listeners you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. And we're talking to Jeff Ritzman and Jim Mosley in the latest issue of Saucer Smear calls him a skeptic. And indeed he might be, but he's had some very unusual experiences and he's right now continuing with this one. So at that point, I'm seeing this this red ball uh, and I'm, I'm actually I'm digging for a... Uh for a penny or something to give you guys some scale on on what we're talking about. Uh, everybody says, you know, if you see something, you should try to put something uh, in your outstretched arm to get a, a better idea of scale of what you're mm-hmm. looking at. And I would say a dime of the outstretched arm would uh, not quite cover it, perhaps a little bit larger than that, maybe a penny, which I don't have right now. Um, Just relatively small. Size. Yeah, it's uh, relatively, relatively small. small but um, not very far away, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. 
It is it is directly above the trees that uh, I really couldn't give you a good estimate of distance, but it's not very far away at all. In fact, enough that I can see that it is rotating and that it apparently has some sort of seam in the middle or middle towards the bottom. Hmm. Um, and I can actively see this thing is spinning. Uh, I can see the sun glinting off of it. And I said to my friend, and it's not moving. There's, it's not moving. There's no sound whatsoever. And I remember calling my friend, come over and look at this thing. I remember one coming over and saying, what is that? And I said, I don't know. Uh, but other than that, he seemed fairly unimpressed with it. That was until I, excuse me, was standing there and saw a flash where the object was, and then it was gone. I mean, split-second flash. Hmm. I can't describe this thing as being a normal flash that you would see, like, from a strobe. This looked like a spiky burst, and uh, and uh, uh, David's going to know, you're probably both going to know what I mean, when I say it's like a comic book flash uh, that should have pow in the middle of it. <laughs> I mean, that kind of look. It was absolutely a vector, white, spiked flash, hmm. and it was gone. At that point, give it five more seconds, the flash hits again, and it's back. And this did this for a series of maybe ten times, maybe more. Now, where were your friends while this was going on? Did they see these flashes as well, Jeff? Could have cared less. Could have cared less. Really? Uh, I mean, one of them came over and said, huh. And that's really all I remember him saying. Uh, I remember walking over to the, the, the walkway to go into the house to try to get Mom uh, to come out. And as I got to the, to, the, to the sidewalk and I looked back, it flashed, and I waited, and it didn't come back. And it hmm. was gone. And I, I rushed into Mom, and I said to Mom, there was something in the sky across the street. She said, what did it look like? Oh, this wall, she, she's, I think she's cutting up celery or something for a salad for dinner. And she never looks up at me, and she says, yeah, what did it look like? And I said, it was a red ball, and it flashed, and it was gone, and it would flash, and it would be back again. And she looks at me, and I laugh because it's so untypical for my mother. I mean, my mother is like this really caring, concerned parent, you know. And I remember her looking at me like with this blank look on her face and saying, to a nine-year-old, saying, maybe it was a weather balloon. <laughs> she just walked away from me, you know. And that's I, just cool. I, that's, that's odd. It was just this, like she's looking right through me. Jeff, let me ask you something here, which is, it seems to me that whenever you bring these experiences to the attention of your mom, she kind of just brushed it off, and maybe it was too much for her to face, or was there any time during this three, three-and-a-half-year period when you were undergoing all this that anyone suggested, hey, Jeff, maybe you should talk to a third party about what's happening to you or to see what's mm -hmm. going on? Um, no, I don't, I don't remember... And I mean, I have to say, I have to qualify this by saying that when I told mom about this kind of thing, I don't think she reacted any differently than she ever would, with the exception of uh, the sighting of something strange outside that day. Um, and I told Dave that it was almost, I mean, what kid knows what a weather balloon is at nine years old? I sure as hell didn't. Yeah. And I don't think that that's a viable thing to say to a kid uh, who's seen it. Like, well, come here. mom would usually say, well, come here, show me where it was, or how big was it, or, you know, what direction was it, or what did it look like? And that that answer was just so atypical for for mom that 
I don't know, it kind of freaked me out at the point because I, I, I remember walking out the door and the screen door was shutting behind me and I remember saying, what's a weather balloon? <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and I was clueless for years about that uh, until the realization had hit me of what was going on and, and seeing the almost sardonic humor of an answer like that. I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that mom even said that. <laughs> I mean, as weird as that sounds, I'm not even sure that uh, I'm not even sure she knew what a weather balloon was. <laughs> you know, mm. it was just another one of those surrealistic things that made you go. Eh? <laughs> that implies um, a lot more than just that. That your yeah. mom had some kind of reason to say that, or. And I'm going to give you the conspiracy theorist point of view here, but only just to drop in for the sake of argument. Don't take it seriously, folks, that she was somehow being controlled in some fashion. Right. Well, that's that's largely what, to the, you know, in today's life, my my looking back on it then, that's almost the hmm. that's almost the uh, the way I look at it is that she didn't even say that, you know, that uh, and maybe I don't, you know. I mean, I bring this up to her in today's world, and she doesn't even remember it. Um, so I can't, uh, I, I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, I, I mean I, I'm famous for saying I just don't know. She doesn't go around saying, here's my son, the abductee. Oh, absolutely not. How <laughs> um, I mean, many uh, people do? Yeah, that's... No, my mom, when I brought it up to my mom uh, years later, mom would basically say, well, I don't think anybody came in this house and took you. Uh, which is, you know, exactly what any parent would say. No parent wants to, you know, wants to face the reality that something came into their house and took their kid. I mean, uh, I sure as hell wouldn't want to admit something like that. I'm sure it's a very hard thing for any parent to say, this was happening to my kid, and I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, I found out in later years with my own child that, that there was little that I could do about it. Uh, oh, whoa, whoa. Are you implying that something similar has happened with your child? I I do not believe that he has had him to the extent of what I did, uh, nor does he remember anything. Uh, but I did have experiences when he was first born that uh, one in particular that my wife tends to get very aggravated at me about, which was uh, me sitting and watching TV one night and uh, she was uh, she was asleep. It was rather late. Uh, I'm a night owl, of course, and uh, my son's room was right next to where I was sitting watching TV, and uh, I remember hearing him ooing and aahing, and uh, that was a little weird. Cause he, he, he was a really good baby. He he slept through the night, the first night home, and we never had any of the nightmares with this this kid like like many many parents do with them not wanting to sleep or being their nights and days mixed up. We never had that, uh, but it was almost like he was at somebody. And I thought, well, Lisa must be up. And I got up and I went to his room, and the door was just barely ajar. And as I looked in, uh, there was something standing at the edge of his crib that certainly wasn't my wife. And I mm-hmm. remember getting a, uh, again, it's very hard to explain, it's very hard to put into words that you can be thinking in your head, what the hell is that? One second, and the next minute, you you don't audibly hear it. You don't. It's not a. Uh, it's it's not voices in your head. It's not a noise. It's it's just a feeling that essentially I equate or or and I make this interpretation. The feeling, the overwhelmingly powerful feeling that I got was 
go back and sit down. That was kind of the that was kind of the tone. That was kind of the feeling like I'm being chastised. Why are you coming in here? Get out there and sit down. It was that kind of teeth clenched, you know, attitude that I got. And so what did I do? I went out and sat down. It was uh, a nasty dude, I'll tell you, these aliens are nasty. Tell our listeners you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Jeff Ritzman. He's a graphic artist, UFO investigator, and has had some very, very unusual experiences. And as we're learning, his child had mm-hmm. some kind of experience, maybe not as wide-ranging as yours. But right. that has to give you pause to say, my God, is this something in the family? And that's another yeah. question which almost raises here. And your mother didn't say anything about it to you or seemed to brush it off. But have you received any indication that previous generations in your family have had encounters like this? Well, I, I do remember asking her, Mom, Mom is a real no-nonsense person. She, as she gets a little older, she tends to tell me about some very bizarre dreams that she has, sometimes involving... Uh, my grandfather who passed away years ago, things like that, which you kind of expect to start. Fairly standard stuff, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, but I remember her telling me at one point that she had a nightmare that she opened her eyes in bed and there were eyes looking at her. And I remember her saying they were huge and she was horrified. And I said, well, how did it end? And she says, I don't remember. So I don't know that that's an indication of anything. It may be absolutely nothing whatsoever. But uh, I don't see I don't see Dad having any any kind of, of things like this. At least not that he's mentioned. But again, hmm. talking about a really uh, hardworking uh, guy that's a real extraordinarily no nonsense guy. I'm not sure that he even believes in any of this stuff is is going on on any level. And it wasn't until uh, I remember that I was I was at the time very into the uh, investigation and the things that um, I was at his business one day and I remember a man coming in and, and we got to on the subject somehow. I usually didn't bring it up up there, but I remember the man saying to me, well, you know, that was right up here um, about a mile back in, in 54 or 55. There was a UFO crash up there. I said, excuse me? <laughs> And uh, he said, yeah, I was right up there. The military came in and, and, uh, and, and, and hauled it off and all this kind of stuff. And he said, yeah, that's a pretty popular story back in the day. You remember that? You know, and I remember my dad saying, yep, I remember that. I was like, Dad, hello. You know, <laughs> you don't think to make me privy to this kind of thing? What, what happened? And Dad really, he didn't really want to talk about it very much. He's just like, you know, it happened. And uh, uh, people talked about it for a couple of days, and, uh, you know, that was the end of it. And I said, you, you know, you realize that's that's big news, you know, that's big stuff. Um, I can't find anything out about it at all. Uh, and I've looked, and I've talked to people, and uh, people do remember it. But I can't find anything on it whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to keep digging. 
But, you know, there's there's things like that, uh, you know, uh, I guess every town's got something. But uh, that, that really struck me kind of odd that it would never get brought up to me, him knowing my interest in it, uh, that, it, that, it never, that it never came up. But, uh, you know, there was, I got to say, as far as my experiences went, uh, ending at that point at nine and then seeing whatever that thing was in the front lawn across the street, um, that wasn't necessarily the end of what I would deem weird stuff. In, in in later years, I mean, it's it's very hard to 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 lay down a progression, a timeline of how things went without getting into every minute detail, which I know we don't have a, a lot of time for that. But at a point in my life where a pinnacle event did happen to me and my wife, I contacted a friend of mine who I met through another friend who had also had an experience that I confided in him that this had happened. And I said, I, I don't know how else to explain it other than it was a, it was a disc. It was big, uh, hmm. and uh, and there was no mistaking about what it was. I mean, there, there's no question. There's not like, well, it could have been. No, uh, uh, there was no could have been about this. And uh, it threw me in such a uh, into such a spiral that I confided in this friend that that his company did work with my company, and he said, well, you know, I had something happen to me too. <laughs> And he put me in contact with a guy who was essentially my research partner for many years. And uh, he basically told me, he's like, Jeff, I want you to go home tonight, and I want you just to think back about everything weird that you can't or could never put a logical explanation to. It's like, you know, you're not a dumb person. You you, you know what's uh, what a dream is, and you know what, uh, you know, you, you know all this. It's not... Uh, uh, it's not the kind of thing that should be very hard. You should just think back to every odd thing. It doesn't have to be flying saucer or aliens or any of this kind of garbage. Just just weird things. And uh, and I remembered more than I wanted to uh, that that came up as I thought over the next couple of days. And uh, I remember him, I remember him saying to me after I showed him what I had written down. He's like, uh, Do you ever think it weird that you've that you've seen so many? unexplained objects in the air and I said no I mean I, I don't know why <laughs> he's like dude most people go through their lives and don't see one six mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like what does that tell you I said I don't know <laughs> you tell me what 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 it tells me he's like that you see things you see these things and you know and other people have seen them around you that means it's not in your head you know you're not you're not losing your marbles here you know i mean there's something that is woven into your life here that that obviously these things happen to you and that's when uh i kind of stopped snickering every time i heard the word experiencer or abductee or what have you Uh, i hate that word abductee but um the when those kind of shows would come on i'd flip the channel you know i mean i had a i had an interest in ufos at the time but that stuff is way out of my you had a there was a there was a real threshold the, the, for your own. I'm like, like I'm like, please, these people are yeah. seeing flying saucers. Okay, this is the next step. They're going to one up the people who see the flying saucers. I've been on them. Sure, you have. Okay, whatever. That was my attitude, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. and anybody who knew me at the time could tell could attest to that. Until I uh, until I realized that uh, that most likely that it, that it had happened to me, and. Uh, and that was really no easy thing to 
admit uh, to myself, but um, there was a particular summer back when I was about 16 years old, and I had gotten my driver's license, and uh, my mom and dad gave me essentially my mom's car, which really coolly enough was a, a 1974 Torino GT <laughs> with a 351 Cleveland engine in it. It rocked. I loved it. And um, I, why didn't I have a parent like that? <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, to get a muscle car, you know, when you're 16 is awesome. Oh, it's just the rocking so, thing. I was going to say the sad thing that at six, 17 I had a Pinto, but you definitely had the you had the better car yeah. than I did, Joe. Yeah, for it was sure. great. I mean, I mean, it was great. And uh, I remember, that, you know, we had gone to uh, the ocean on many occasions. I mean, living on the East Coast, it's a thing to do for summer to go to the beach. And uh, oh yeah. Um, I remember mom and dad saying, hey, we're going to the beach next week. Your dad's taking off, so, uh, you know, why don't you get, gather some stuff up and start doing some odd jobs, earn some money so you're not bugging us for cash. And I said, okay. And then it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. Whoa. What if I uh, – I said, mom, uh, it's my license, you know. Can I take the car down? Can I take my car down? I'll follow you guys, and that way I can go and do what I want to do. And she talked to my dad that night, and he said, yeah, let him go. And um, so that's what I did. I followed him. And uh, uh, I had been to the beach numerous times uh, over the years. And uh, usually, as I think most kids do, I think uh, you, you lay down and you go to sleep in the back seat. <laughs> you don't stay awake for the boring drive. It's, you know, it's three, four hours. You don't want to stay awake for that. So Now you had to do the boring drive. Well, yeah, now I had to do it on my own. So I'm like, well, I'll follow Dad. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. This is UFO Magazine, and I'm Bill Burns, the publisher, and here's an offer for your listeners. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFOMAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com, and they can also call one 888 U-F-O-M-A-G-A, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. Just a reminder, if you want to get a hold of us here at the Paracast, send your email to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. We also invite you to visit our online forums. Go to theparacast.com and click on the links to our message forums 
We welcome you aboard. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Jeff Ritzman. He's a graphic artist, UFO investigator, and he's had a number of experiences that could be called UFO, paranormal, whatever. And now he has the chance to take this long drive where he used to sleep in the back seat. Now he has to stay awake. Now i got to stay awake. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, at any rate, I followed Dad down. Um, not an issue, not a problem. You have to kind of, have to kind of, uh, you know, pre-state that you have to go across two bridges to get to the ocean here, and one of them being a smaller bridge, the next one being essentially a, a bridge that goes over the bay, and uh, and that's a that's a famous landmark right here. So you, once you get close to that area, you pretty much know where you are. Uh, go down, spend the week, had a great time, uh, ran the wheels off the car, and uh, it was time to go home. Uh, I remember we left maybe, it was evening, it was getting towards dark, I knew that much. Um, and I've written all this stuff down over the years, and in my old age I'm getting to forget a lot of it. <laughs> but I remember driving back and being to the point where I was seeing signs for the Bay Bridge and thinking, oh, thank God, it, you know, it's almost over, the long drive is almost done, I almost know where I am. And uh, the only thing I didn't know was, where do I get off to hit the bridge? And I remember Dad being in front of me, Dad being a notorious lane changer, he went into the slow lane. About that time, a tractor trailer got in between me and Dad. As the tractor trailer passes, <laughs> Dad is going off the off ramp, <laughs> and I'm going the wrong way. Well, I freaked out. I slammed on the brakes a little too hard. I cut to the next exit that I could get off on, and when I got to the end of that exit, I made a right. I went down to the end of the street, and there was a kind of a, like a general store type looking place, had a large gravel parking lot to its left. And I remember pulling in there just to see, I mean, I'm so close to the bridge at this point, give me a break. All I gotta do is go in and ask where it is. Which way do I go? I missed my exit. Can I go straight down this way? So the store is closed. And there's a phone booth there, and there's a guy standing beside a car that, uh, to this day, I can't picture. But I remember thinking, it's an interesting-looking car. <laughs> and uh, this guy, I'll, I'll never forget, had a uh, like a Cleveland Browns shirt on. And uh, I came out of the store, and I said, they're closed, Tom. He's like, yeah, like, um, what did you, you need? And I said, oh, well, I'm lost. I'm trying to get to Bay Bridge. You know what, you know what way it is? And he says, yeah, straight, straight down this way, pointing to his right, my left, which was the general direction I thought it would be. And I said, uh, about how far? And he says, oh, you know, maybe seven miles, something like that. I said, okay. He's like, um, I, I get over to the car, and I start to crack the door, and, and uh, he yells over to me. He says, dude, um, this thing's broken down. I live about three miles down the way you're going. You think you can drop me off? I said, yeah, you know, I'm thinking in my head, you know, I don't know who the hell this guy is, and but he looks all right. I mean, he looks like he's close to my age. You know, what the hell? I said, yeah, okay. So he comes over, gets in, and we start rolling. And uh, I remember looking over at him periodically on the drive down. And at this point, it's pretty, it's getting pretty much towards dark. I remember at some point, I remember thinking to myself, um, I don't want to be too long because 
they're going to be worried about where I am. At this point, mom and dad have to know I'm not behind them anymore. They can't see me. So I'm thinking, I really need to be that home, and I really don't need to be dropping somebody off and getting, oh, you want to come in for a drink or, you know. So at this point, I kind of look over at him, and he's just sitting there, and he's, but he's looking at me. <laughs> and it's, if you've ever picked up a hitchhiker, you know, hitchhikers, if you're listening, just keep your eyes front. You know, it makes people nervous when you look at them and you don't know them. So... I notice he's looking at me out of the corner of his, in my eye, and I'm like, um, I'm like, so how far down are you? And he's like, oh, it's just right down here on the right-hand side. It's not much further. I said, okay. And uh, at some point, I remember looking at my watch, and uh, it was right around, I don't know, maybe around 8, close to that, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe around that time. I said, uh let me let me uh, just holler when you want to get out. And he said, okay. We go a little bit further, and he says, uh, you get lost a lot? I said, no, not really. I said, I was following my dad down. We just got separated, and, uh, you know, uh, I just I didn't know which way I was going. I wanted to make sure I didn't get hopelessly lost. And at that point, he says, oh, I'm right here on the right. So I pull over onto this little, again, a little gravel spot across the road, and uh, as I... And stopping, I look over at this guy, and I again, <laughs> don't ask for a good explanation of this, but he doesn't look like the same person that I let in. <laughs> um, he didn't look he didn't look weird. He certainly wasn't an alien. I mean, he was certainly a person, but this guy's skin was so incredibly smooth that it it was almost shiny. This person was almost shiny. And his facial features were, without question, not the same. And uh, Like he morphed into another person? Uh, not in front of my eyes, but, uh, yeah, it was a different person. I mean, it didn't, his facial shape, his nose, his chin did not look like the same person who got into the car. And I saw the guy fine. I mean, he had the door open. The inner light was on. I could see him. But when he turned around and looked at me, his face was shiny like he was oiled. <laughs> I mean, the skin was just mm. tight as a drum and very blemish-free, very even-toned. And I'm like, you know, part of me is saying, wow, that's some great skin. <laughs> as a 16-year-old, you know, I'm thinking, wow, that's some killer skin. And at the same time, it's like, holy crap, that's not the same guy I let in here. And at that oh, point, man. my heart starts racing out of my chest. And he says... um, Go a little bit further down this way, and and you'll get where you need to go. And I said, uh, at this point, my lips are numb, and I'm um, I'm genuinely afraid, but I don't want to make it – I don't want to be so obvious about it because I don't know what the guy's going to do. I mean, there's no lights. I don't see a house. It's not like I pull over, oh, there's your house. There's no house. Um, And and he he looks over at me, and I don't know, again – I've written this on a message board, and I'll use the words that I used from that. When he looked at me, it was like death. It was like oblivion. I mean, Mm. like nothingness. Um, And that was what just absolutely freaked me out. Um, And I'm trying to keep my cool. And I said, well, uh, I'll see you. And he says... You know, I said, uh, well, thanks. For, he said, thanks for the ride. And I, and I remember 
saying, I hope I can get where I'm going to. He's like, yeah, straight down there and you'll be fine. Uh, and he says, uh, he looks at me, and I looked up at him. And again, from the time that I thought, wow, he doesn't look like the same guy, it was, again, he looked a little different to me as I'm staring at him. I don't see face moving. I just see that he doesn't look the same again. And he looks over at me, and he kind of smiles, and he says, I'll see you again. You'll be fine. And I said, okay. And he got out. And at that point, <laughs> I shoved down on this gas. Floor that thing. Yeah. I mean, the thing goes boom. Jeez. And I mean, I tore away from there. And I remember laughing while <sighs> I'm almost crying, saying, oh, my God, I will never do that again. I will never pick anybody up like that again. Um, <sighs> and I came out to a stop sign that looked... Uh, or to a stoplight, rather, that, and, and the road that was in front of me looked like a, a, an interstate that runs right through where I live. And I'm like, oh, well, how did I get here without being over the bridge? You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. We're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, and we're in the second half of our interview with Jeff Ritzman, a UFO investigator who has undergone some very unusual encounters. And the latest one is this weird dude who he picked up trying to get directions, and suddenly you find yourself, what, right near your home? Well, to what I thought was a road that I recognized. And uh, I remember seeing a truck stop on my right-hand side. So I, I whipped into this truck stop, and I said, you know, these guys, they drive. They know where they're at. I'm going to pull in here, and I'll ask somebody where, where, where to get across the bridge at. Where Maybe I'm just thinking wrong. Maybe this isn't the road. Maybe this is some other place that just looks like it. But I can't be far away from it at this point. I know I haven't driven uh, any more than, uh, you know, I mean, it's, 10 minutes, 10, 10, 10, 15 minutes uh, between the time where I stop at the store, I drop him off, and I get to this place. Did you look at your and, watch again? Because you, you knew that it was yeah, like, just Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it. I, I mean, I know I know that, uh, you know, it, I know. It's like 830 or something? It's like it's not yeah, even 830 yet at that point. Right around in that area. I mean, it hasn't even been that long. I mean, it, you're talking about. I mean, to hear me explain it, I know I drone on too long about it, but I want people to get the sense of what that this was like in 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 the absolute seamlessness of it. Uh, right. And you understand when I get to this point, um, I go into the truck stop. There's a you know the long counter with the bar stools, and there's there's your standard uh, booths along the wall. And I went up to the lady at the counter and I said, "Ma'am, uh, can you tell me where the Bay Bridge is?" And she says, uh, what, uh, <laughs> what bridge? I said, the Bay Bridge. She goes, you mean, and she started to say some, some body that I've never heard of in my life. And, and I said, no, Chesapeake Bay. And she says, that's in Maryland. And I said, yeah, I'm lost. I really, I don't know where I am. 
And when she said, that's Maryland, I went, what does that mean? Uh, I'm thinking, am I in Delaware? Okay. Am I in Delaware? Is that, you know? And at that point, <laughs> this guy on a stool, bar stool, leans back and he said, looks at me and he says, boy, you are lost, ain't you? And I said, yes, sir. And I said, uh, where am I at? He goes, well, you're in the southern tip of Ohio. <laughs> and I said, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. And he said, you're in the southern tip of Ohio. I said, no, uh-uh. Uh, and he took me out to his truck, and he showed me a map where I was, and he showed me, you know, where we were, and I said, that's impossible. I said, I've only been driving since I lost my dad no more than a half an hour at the absolute most, and I said, that's stretching it. He says, well, you got a hell of a drive to Maryland. He says, that's about five, six hours, and uh, I started crying like a boy, like a little boy, because... Uh, I didn't have any money, and I had no gas to get there. I remember that the waitress and another truck driver got some money for me, and uh, and that's how I got home. And I followed a trucker out who was going uh, to Western Maryland, and he knew where he was going, and I followed him uh, until I got home. And when I pulled up, it was getting light out. It was practically the next morning. Uh, and all I could think of the whole time was... I'm going to get my rear end handed to me. <laughs> in such trouble. Oh, yeah. I mean, and where you know, did I, you go? Yeah. I, I, lend, I lend the description of my dad that he's firm but fair, but when he's firm, he's damn firm, if you know what oh. I mean. Uh, he's a strict dad, you know, and uh, uh, and I'm a strict dad. There's no question about it. But, uh, I mean, I was horrified. I'm like, my dad is going to kill me. I've lost the car. I might as well kiss the car goodbye. That's gone. I mean, gone. And I remember going in and trying to be as quiet as I could. And I remember well, I remember driving up to the house, and the cars were in the driveway. And his truck and Mom's car, were her new car, were in the driveway. And I'm like, they're home? Why are they home? You know? Uh, I had tried calling from the road before I left to say, hey, I'm really lost, and I'm in trouble here. And uh, there was no answer. And when I got to the house and the cars were there, I was almost offended. I'm like, why are they not out looking for me? Don't think of how long I've been gone. Um, and and I walked in, and it was quiet, and Dad came out of the bedroom. Asleep. He had been asleep. I mean, he had been asleep. And I remember him scratching his head and looking at me, and he'd say, he says, Boy, do you know what time it is? And I said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I said, I got so incredibly lost. You don't know where I ended up. He cuts me off and he says, Jeff, go to bed. You're home. I said, okay. I went to bed, and it was never mentioned again. Hmm. Ever. Ever. And, and I can't stress ever enough. It was never brought up. It was never discussed. I wasn't punished. I wasn't in trouble. Nobody cared. Sorry, if my kid very unusual yeah. for that oh, long amount of time, he's going to get his butt whooped. And second of all, I'm going to find out where he's been. Yeah. They didn't even want to know. So, I mean, when I remembered that, I'm like, it was completely seamless. I mean, there was, I didn't see a ship, I didn't see an alien, I didn't see anything. You know, I picked up a guy who looked real odd and didn't look the same as when I dropped him off as when he got in the car. And I'm six hours away in less than a half an hour. Figure it out. You know? So the question is, what what to categorize this as? I mean, 
I don't if know. I was well, if I was listening to this show right now, Jeff, and I hadn't spent the time speaking to you that I, that you and I have spent talking offline, oh, I would think to my. Well, I mean, that's <laughs> just those very few. I mean, uh, right. there are so many things we're not going to talk about tonight that you and I have already discussed that uh, right. we have to have stuff for future shows. Because if I was on the other end of the line, Jeff, if I was listening to this show and, and I heard what you were saying, I would think, well, this is just really kind of this is kind of crazy stuff. It, it it's hard to even figure out what category to put this under. How do you how do you understand or analyze? What you've just described, which involves you, you've got some kind of lost time or or some kind of crazy distance thing going on. You've got this shape-shifting thing that you saw, this creature being whatever it was. Right. Um, and, and you've also got sort of this indifference on your parents. So I'm listening to the show. I'm a first-time listener, and I'm listening to this, and I think, well, what in God's name is this guy talking about? Why, right. why, what, what is he describing? Is this just stuff that, you know, I, I, is this just a bad drug experience that's manifesting itself <laughs> as a memory? Right. Well, right. Uh, just to play yeah. the skeptic for a minute, I mean, you know, right. what would you think if you were listening to this? You'd think, well, you know, if if you hadn't lived through this. Right. And and one of the things I have to mention, Gene, um, a lot of the stuff that Jeff is talking about, a lot of these experiences, for some odd reason, in my own life, uh, I have, they're not even similar experiences, they're almost like complementary experiences, uh, very similar. I, I've, I've actually experienced some of what Jeff has experienced in a slightly different way. But with a very definitive resonance, when, when, when Jeff tells me about something like he just described, when, when I hear that, I, I'm reminded of an experience that I haven't talked about on the show. And at some point, we're going to have a, an old buddy of mine, Jamie Bauchamp, who works at Business Week. He's going to come on, and we're going to talk about an episode that happened to us between New York and Boston, where we were able to do that drive from Boston to New York in a little under two hours. This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to ConspiracyJournal.com or email Tim Beckley at MrUFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. Hey, let me tell everybody you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we have Jeff Ritzman. He's a UFO investigator, and we also have learned that David has been holding out on us here. Well, well there's a lot of stuff, Gene, that I haven't talked about. You know, we. Like Jeff, and this brings us to an important point of this discussion, which is that what Jeff is describing, it, it's not easy for him to talk about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put words in his mouth here for a minute. No, you're right. When, when, when this kind of stuff happens to you in your life, and you're trying to understand it, what you quickly realize is that discussing this with your friends, with your family, 
puts you into that category of, oh, you know, he's got an overactive imagination. He's kind of a nutcase anyway. He's a little eccentric. Uh, you know, he's looking for attention. Uh, on the show, when I talked about my Caracas episode with my brother and many other people, uh, I mean, he who won't be named from the Meyer camp on our forum tried to claim that I talked about this experience because I wanted to start a UFO cult. Which is just, it's just ridiculous. But here, Jeff is just, well, I mean, it's, what we've got is a situation where discussing this type of phenomenon is, is, it's real dangerous. Um, it's really dangerous for one professionally. It's really dangerous for one personally. And if you listen to what Jeff is describing, this is stuff that it doesn't fall into very easily definable categories or boxes. And I think, Jeff, you started the discussion in a very uh, accurate way in saying that there are certain aspects of these episodes that are so odd that in describing them to other people, you tend to tone them down because you don't want to sound like you're completely out of your mind. This is true. This is true. I've always pretty much refused to do that because, as I said before, I think that, uh, I mean, the seamlessness in that last instance speaks for itself. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. the complete continuity, there was no missing time. There was no anything uh, other than a guy with a very odd appearance in an even weirder-looking car that I can't fully remember what it looked like. And, and I can't, I mean, I can't, I can't qualify any of it. You know, uh, I had mentioned on, on a message board online that uh, nobody was going to believe this at the point that uh, that I was at the truck stop. So I grabbed a pack of matches, and I said, I'm putting these in my pocket because Dad's never going to believe this. <laughs> and uh, I never even got to show them to him because he didn't care. Um, and I don't think it was that he didn't care. I think that there was, you know, again, another instance of, of uh, some sort of intervention of some sort. Uh, and I remember somebody at this message board saying, well, where are the pack of matches? Like, what do you mean, where are they? I said, this was half my life ago. You know, I, more than half. I said, I, you know, I don't keep that kind of stuff. And I said, at that point, I hadn't equated anything to that other than that was really weird. And number two, uh, don't pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's for years. I never gave that a second thought other than, yeah, that was really weird. I really must have got lost. I figured some way to get there. That, I mean, you just blow this stuff off. I mean, as crazy as that sounds to say I blew it off, what else am I going to do with it? I mean, right. what do you say about that? Who do you tell? I mean, no, this is not a club anybody wants to belong to. You know, I sure as hell don't. You know, well, that's, that's an important point, Jeff, that, that, but that, we need to stress that, that, in this realm, so many people want to be experiencers. They they want to be able to see these unexplained, these paranormal entities with their own eyes, yet they don't consider the ramifications of living through this, that once you live through this, it's like watching somebody die or being in the presence of someone when they die. Yeah, when you experience I, that firsthand, it, it changes who you are. It's not... Um... I think people view it as being an exciting thing or interesting, and it's neither. It's interesting when I look back on it now, but I almost try to look at it as if it happened to somebody else rather than me, um, mm -hmm. even though I can't 
I, I can't, you know, I, I can't, I can't deny that it was me. But I really try to think about it, and I've gone over that a billion times in my head, as to how could that have happened? Why? What happened? And I don't know. This was just one of those things that a research partner, years later down the line, said, "Put that down because that's odd, and that's that's akin to." several things in the UFO-type experience things that involve screen memories and uh, missing time and, and a relocation to some place that you couldn't possibly have been in the normal scheme of things. Uh, I mean, if that's the case, then I found a, a wormhole to Ohio. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just it's that crazy. I mean, uh, there, there's no explanation for it other than when I look at the broad scope of what has happened and what I've seen, and incidentally, what after the realization of what was going on in the experience with my wife, I realized was not me, was not uh, in my head. I was not losing my mom, my mind, <laughs> which I, I thought I was. Um, I had experiences when I moved out uh, of my apartment, um, or when I moved into my apartment, as you know. As a, as a 22-year-old, I rented the top floor of a uh, of a house, and um, we uh, got it all outfitted like a nice bachelor pad. and And I had just met my future wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And um, I remember, uh, uh, I mean, to to give you a little background on me, uh, I played metal bands through the 80s. Like, you know, I was in and out of so many bands that it wasn't funny because. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't toler I wouldn't tolerate the drug scene. <laughs> so try being a heavy metal guitarist and not tolerating a drug scene. So oh I was, boy! And I was in and out of bands like every other week because somebody had a coke problem and I wouldn't be around it, or somebody had an alcohol problem and I wouldn't be around it. Um, so I was in my apartment and I had at the time one of uh, Tom Schultz from Boston. He's a great sound engineer. Uh, he had made this thing called a Rockman that you could basically plug into your guitar and put headphones on and wail to your heart's content without disturbing the neighbors. A and great box. I had one. I had actually had a couple of awesome Rockman's and I, great, and I great. still have a, a lot of his, uh, all of the the sustainer, the distortion generator, oh, yeah. the stereo chorus, the echo. Awesome. I've got all, that's another show, Jeff, another show. All, yeah, exactly. That may be our technology show, maybe. But yeah. <laughs> what I'm finding here is that you and Dave have certain common experiences and encounters but i'll tell you something i keep remembering the more you talk about this and the fact that david had some unusual things happen as a child the more i remember these recurring dreams about this big dark object in front of me coming towards me when i was a child these recurring dreams and i guess i was eight or nine or ten years old i can't remember offhand and i don't remember what i did about it if anything i assume remembering now and it's so many years ago because i'm a little older than you guys i think that maybe my parents just brushed it off because my father was kind of a hard-nosed kind of guy my mother was a very caring soft person but this certainly would have buffaloed her completely confused yeah. her
Before we confuse anybody else, let me tell you, this is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, joined by Jeff Ritzman, and he's a UFO investigator, and in the first 90 minutes of the show, he has recounted some very frightening things. And I'll tell you, if I had to undergo that for three and a half years, these nightmares every single night, well, what can I say? I may have, I may have and I've simply forgotten about it. And now you've reminded me, and maybe I should start looking to myself, but I agree with one thing. I am not going to undergo hypnotic regression for it. Jeff, we can talk with you for hours. We only have about 30 minutes left with the show. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Maybe we can expand on this. You obviously became intensely interested after reading Communion by Whitley Strieber and about what happened to him. Uh, Actually, I didn't didn't read it, actually. Oh, Um, uh, I didn't read it. Um, I, I saw the cover in the bookstore. Oh, okay, okay. And um, I, um, I wouldn't, um, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't go near it. But when I saw it, uh, I was with my wife, and uh, I said, "That's him," and she said, "That's who?" And I said, "That's the guy in my room, except he had a hat on, and it it, it looks like him, but it's not quite him." Uh, and I, I, mm. I was hysterical. I walked out of the bookstore. Just saying, it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. And um, uh, she came out of the bookstore about ten minutes later. Uh, I was leaning up against the rail, very upset. And I remember her coming up to me and saying, "He says they're aliens and they're from UFOs." And I said, "No kidding. You think?" Uh, I snapped her head right off. I mean, I was really aggravated um, because I knew, I knew that that's, I knew that that's what it was. Um, uh, that picture, that picture set it off. That that's what set it off. That's when I began to say, um, why, why, <laughs> why? What, what did does I it do? mean? What did yeah. I do? And uh, and it was it was uh, introspective of looking back over the time. It was in effect going out one night to absolutely try to see a UFO. Uh, to be honest with you, strictly so I could flip it off. Um, I had a lot of anger about it at that point, um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of anger about it. And, uh, you know, at, at that point is when uh, my wife and I kind of got more than our average evening out uh, with friends. So, What know, happened? It was, uh, <laughs> there was... Um, Excuse me. You you got to realize that this is this is one of the absolute most freshest things that ever happened, and and it was more or less the time that I realized that it was not imaginary, and I wasn't being paranoid, and uh, and that's not an easy thing to admit to yourself that it uh, that these things are realer than real, if you get what I mean. Um, we drove up to the country, um, very rural area very little light pollution. We drove up a small back road, made a right turn onto a a little bit more of a major road, but still very remote. And uh, as we looked to our left, there there are acres and acres of woods up in this place. I mean, you're talking 100 acres easy. Um, Well, just before you continue, when you say we, who exactly was it? uh, Me and my wife, I'm sorry. Me and my okay. wife. We we had dropped my son off at uh, at my parents' house uh, earlier, and uh, mm-hmm. his car seat was actually in the passenger side seat. My wife was up against me, and I'm in the driver's seat. 
Okay. And uh, what year is this? Uh, according to my notes here, it's going to be August twenty seventh of nineteen ninety three. Okay. And as we pulled up the street, we looked to our right, and there were high tension wires that go down through a cut of trees, where you can see literally for a very long ways. And within these high tension wire areas, or this cutout, uh, like a cookie cutter cut out of the forest, uh, there were lights, white lights, uh, floating off the ground, lighting up the ground uh, underneath of them, uh, about seven of them, and they were not moving. First thing I thought, spotlighters. They're Jack Light and Deer. And then one of them moved, uh, and it wasn't being held by anybody and I didn't see any trucks and they were excruciatingly bright and as I pulled up and stopped and my wife looked over and said what is that they all winked out left to right all all winked out and uh, I said wow huh that's uh, pretty neat but at the same time my hands are shaking and I'm like you know this is what you wanted to see you know this is why you're here so it's a problem um we pulled up a little further, and uh, my wife got a little irritated because the car seat was poking her in the ribs, and I had a I had a Dodge Dakota pickup with a cap on the back at the time, and uh, we pulled over underneath a street lamp beside a small building next to the field where we had just seen these things, and uh, she says, uh, why don't you put the car seat out and put it in the back so I can scoot over. I could have rolled the window down further, and we'd been able to see him better if I had not had that in my way. So I said, okay, and uh, I got out. I walked around the back of the truck, and uh, I unbuckled the car seat, went back, lifted up the cap window, and as I went to set it in, uh, there was a very bright flash on my right-hand side towards the woods. And I know you guys will know what I mean when it says, uh, when I say I got a, uh, it felt like a noogie in the arm. You know, that punch you get in middle school with the extended knuckle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it felt you like felt that, but, but the worst ever in my upper right arm. I mean, it put me practically on my knees. It hurt so bad. And mm. um, when I looked over, um, I had... Uh, my my right eye was had that night thing going on where you you get a strobe in your eye and it's like you can't see real well. But as I looked over, I can if I don't blink, I can see this white light with a little tail on it going from the right to the left, and then it just winked out almost like fireworks. It almost is what it looked like. And where it winked out, as I stood there, I started to see like uh, some very small, very very dim red points of light and at this point my wife is saying get in the car did you see that get in the car <laughs> and um and and i can it's very hard to describe other than the light pollution from the, the lamp post that we were under was not allowing me to see what was at the end where this thing winked out but that's where these little dim 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 red lights were and i took a couple steps into the field like an idiot, and uh, it was to my left. If I'm facing into the woods in this field, uh, it's to my left, and it's maybe 80 yards away. But is it 80 yards away? Because I can't tell if I'm looking at some sort of star. I can't tell what it is other than they appear to be very far apart in, in spaced, and they are so dim 
that I can't even look directly at them and see them correctly. I have to look just to the right or to Off the to left. to the side, right, because, yeah. Well, I don't you, know you why, that... but you, you can see it so much better when you weren't looking right at it. Well, actually, that's because could... that's... That's where your optic nerve enters the back of your retina. So there's a blind spot in, in a dark situation when you're looking at, at lights directly. If you hit that blind spot, you, you can't see the light. But if you look slightly off to the side, then you can see the dim light spot. So that, that's, that's the physiology of the eye. Yes, absolutely. I can see it much better, and uh, and I can tell that they Hello? were in what looked like a an ellipse. And my head is saying, is that, hmm. what, um, I just, I can't make up my mind whether or not I'm seeing something or whether I'm not. And I'm, at this point, I'm on, my, 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 my right knee is down. And I'm looking at it, and I'm just sitting there. And it's, it's damp, and it's, you know, it's dewy. <laughs> and I'm like... At one point, I remember looking down at the ground going, what am I doing here? What am I, stupid? This is ridiculous. And I look back up, and it's still there, and it's not moving. And at this point, my wife is just, what is it? What do you see? Come over here. You're too far away. Come here. Uh, she's she's uh, a little irritated at me. She's not one to cuss a lot, but she, she threw a couple of them out that night. And... Um, I remember thinking to myself, if I can just get, I was right at the back edge of a planting field, and there was another one just ahead of me and to the left. I said, if I get up and I walk over towards that left end area, I can probably see it better, because then I'll see if it's blocking anything out. She came to Earth to conquer our planet. He traveled to the future to conquer her heart. Experience the adventure of a lifetime. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids. The critics are raving about Attack of the Rockoids. One reviewer writes, The father and son writing team of Gene and Grayson Steinberg have written a marvelous, fast-paced story of interstellar warfare and star-crossed love. The battle scenes are so descriptive, you can see the spaceships explode and be consumed by gigantic balls of flame. I enjoyed this story and the authors say there is more to come about the characters and the future world of the Rockoids. Fans of Star Wars and Star Trek will enjoy this story and look forward to many more adventures of Ray and Xanther. That's Attack, Attack of the Rockoids. Order your copy direct from Amazon Books or check out a sample chapter and get a special discount on your copy direct from www.rockoids.com. That's www.rockoids.com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids in the grand and science fiction tradition. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. Just a reminder, if you want to get a hold of us here at the Paracast, send your email to news at theparacast.com. That's news at thepowercast.com. We also invite you to visit our online forums. Go to thepowercast.com and click on the links to our message forums. We welcome you aboard. The suspense, by the way, is driving me nuts right now. But I've got to tell our listeners, you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Jeff Ritzman, a UFO investigator who has undergone through his life an unusual number of extraordinary encounters. And right now, you're on your way 
You're getting closer. What happened next? Uh, at that point, I, uh, I came up off my knee, and I went to take a step. And I remember, and, and you, have to, you have to picture this. I'm in a field. It's dark except for the lights behind me, and my wife's in a truck. And I'm out in the middle of a field, but there's nobody there, and I think I see something. And I go to take a step, and I'm trying to tiptoe. <laughs> <laughs> I think back and I'm like, what the hell was I tiptoeing about? You know, um, uh, these are the things that amuse me when I think about it. Now it's like it's almost like I knew what I was looking at. What what was what was I going for here? You know, um, but as I went to take a step, uh, I never took my eyes off of it. I had a a bit of a threatening air starting about it that if it was something it clearly didn't belong to us and I'm thinking to myself you know I'm not taking my eyes off this thing and if it starts moving I am out of here and as I put my foot down and I mean Gene you're waiting for this big dramatic part well this is it and it ain't much let me take a deep breath (laughs) (laughs) it came on Uh, and I don't mean to make this sound more than it is. So for people picturing this, when I say it came on, don't picture close encounters. Picture from really little tiny dim lights to reasonably bright. There's no mistaking. There's something there. Holy crap. (laughs) Um, It wasn't throwing spotlights and all this crazy nonsense. It just came on as if to say, hello, it's us, <laughs> you know, um, but on the other hand, my head was screaming, um, among other things that I can't say on this show, um, get out of here. But I couldn't make myself move. Um, at this point of it being, of it being on, uh, there were now smaller white lights, not equidistant spaced between the red lights. The red lights seemed to be fairly equidistant. These little white ones in between were not. Um, it struck me odd because being a designer, you're into symmetry and whatnot, and I just remember thinking, that's weird. Why is it not right between each red one? <laughs> um, but I knew that it was there. I knew that it was uh, circular. It was a disc. It was no mistaking it. And I am further away from my truck than I am to it. And that wasn't where I wanted to be. I don't I wasn't paralyzed, but I couldn't move. I just wanted to die. Um I and I mean I even at some point, um as it did come closer to me, uh I remember looking back at my wife and her being in the truck screaming, but I couldn't hear her. And my, you know, if you've ever been really scared, I mean horribly, horribly scared in your life, you will know what I mean when I say the blood rushes from your feet um, and they go numb and your adrenaline surges from what feels like your feet. Uh, That's what I felt. And then I was getting back in the car, or in the truck, rather, again, and... uh, (laughs) I looked down at the clock and just like that, just like that, you you went from being frozen to I'm getting back in the car. Yes, Uh, seamless. Um, And I remember my wife saying, "God, it's hot here in the cab of the truck." And I said, "Yeah." When I when I when I started the truck, 
it was 11, and we pulled over at 9, around what? about mm. 9. And she goes, oh, my God, it's, it's 11 o'clock already. we got to get to your mom's and take the baby up because she's going to be angry we're so late. And we left, and we did not talk all the way home. Mm. When we picked up my son, took him home, put him to bed, uh, my wife was sitting in bed, and I walked through the door, and she looked at me, and we started crying because we, we knew what had happened, but somehow had been oblivious to it until we got home. And once we got home, and I, once I looked at her, I just I realized then that I looked at, it was the same look when she looked over at me, it was the same look she had when I looked back at her and this thing is practically on top of me. Um, uh, and I just, I said, do you remember it coming over top? And she said, yeah. And I said, what else do you remember? She says, it was in the car with me or in the truck with me. And I said, what do you mean? Huh? And she says, there was somebody in the truck with me. And she said that she couldn't turn her head to the left to look at it, but it was looking at her about three inches from her face. She could see half of its face, but she could not look directly at it. She said that it squinted at her. She got a feeling of extraordinary sadness. If you talk to her about this today, she will cry about it. Um, and she said when it squinted at her, she felt like she was floating. And everything went pink. Well, we later kind of surmised that the reason it went pink is because her eyes shut and the light was so bright that she was seeing through her eyelids. I remember being on my back. <laughs> and I remember two people there. And I remember something brushing my eyelash as if to try to get me to open my eyes. And I remember that same... Uh, that same instance of somebody telling me to go sit down I spoke about earlier. This is actually mm -hmm. the first instance of something talking but not talking. And I remember the only way I can explain it is for somebody saying, open your eyes. And I said, no. <laughs> um, I wasn't strapped down, but I couldn't move either. I know it was very bright because I could see light through my closed eyes. And it was very cold, uh, very cold. And uh, this person kept brushing my eyelid, told me, open. And I said, no. And as it got more and more agitated, I began to feel this incredible sense of urgency as if we've got to get out of here, open your eyes now. And I was crying and I was hysterical and I said, no. And um, at that point, someone up at my head area uh, spoke differently to me, not angrily, mm. but rather said, are you afraid? And I said, yes, uh, I'm afraid, okay? I want to go home. Um, and to be honest with you, I remember actually thinking, I'm dead. <laughs> um, I'm dead. This is what it's like when you're dead. Um mm. I don't know why that popped into my head, but it did. And this thing, whatever it was, said to me, do you want to hold my hand? Will that make you less afraid? And I said, yes. <laughs> why? Why, would I, 
why would I say yes? I don't know, but I did. I'm out for any kind of comfort here, you know? Hmm. Um, And I remember that I moved my arm, and I reached up, and something touched my hand. And when I closed my hand, this is how I described it so that people can get the feeling, is that I was holding a bunch of rubber carrots. They were long fingers that when they closed, they not only started at my thumb, but they ended around my hand and on top of my thumb again. So they were very long hands, and that's all I remember. I don't remember anything else. I remember getting back in the car. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. Just a reminder, if you want to get a hold of us here at the Paracast, send your email to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. We also invite you to visit our online forums. Go to theparacast.com and click on the links to our message forums. We welcome you aboard. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Jeff Ritzman. And, you know, starting out with this program, I didn't know what to expect because David knew a lot of this already because he had talked to Jeff. I had not. All I knew was... I didn't know all this. (laughs) (laughs) Not all of it, Gene. No, no, no. Jeff is telling us some new stories tonight. Yes, well, I expected a lot of unusual things. I did not expect things to be this unusual. Man, this is definitely one of the more weird stories I've heard in a long, long time. And I know we have only a few minutes left with the show here. And normally at this point, David and I will spend five or ten minutes with a Monday morning or Wednesday morning quarterback, depending on what day you listen to the show. But I don't want to do that because I'm too curious. I want to know more. And, and well, well here, here's the thing. And, and Jeff, we're going to obviously, I say obviously, we're, we're going to have you back on the show because we have a lot of stuff to talk about with you. Sure, sure. But I, I, I want our listeners to get an idea for what you think this means. And we're not going to get into all of this tonight, but right. give, give people a sense for I mean, you, you've lived through these. You say that you've had these outrageous experiences, and I, in my own personal BS meter tells me that you're telling the truth. I, I don't. I don't see any reason for you to just make this stuff up because it's just it's too detailed, it's too it's disturbing. Too stupid to make up. <laughs> well, what would be the I'm win? I'm sorry to say that, but up? it's the truth. It's yeah, too stupid. Yeah. You know, I mean, I even said that to I say that to people I know. I said it's just too dumb to make up. I mean, if I'm going to make something up, it's going to be a hell of a lot better than this. I mean, you know, it's uh, 
Um, I mean, at that point, I mean, that's only the beginning. I mean, that's where I knew. That's how I found out that that these weird things, and even back to being a little kid, that this is where it was. This is what it was, and uh, that's what uh, that's what threw me into trying to learn as much as I could, trying to study other cases as much as I could, talking to other people as much as I could about what they had seen, what they had mm-hmm. happened had happened when they were a child. And uh, that was a ride and a half for 13 years. I mean, a ride and a half uh, going through uh, to the point where I gave a couple lectures and uh, and, uh, uh, and and people were always surprisingly to me really interested in in, in what I had to say about what had happened um, uh, because for years I did not equate it to anything of the UFO alien thing. Uh, the point of, uh, of at least that night, I know why I was supposed to open my eyes. And, why? Uh, uh, it, it chokes me up to go too much into it, but they wanted me to look at them. And that's why I was supposed to open my eye. Uh, they wanted me to look at them. That was the point, you know? There was no implant going in. There was no physical examination. They've, you know, they weren't taking sperm samples here. This was, you need to look at us. And uh, I wasn't about to. I had no desire to look them in the face. Um, I know that uh, I was not on the ground. I was somewhere else. And where I felt, uh, and this is where... And things led me in my studies of this is that you are in a sort of altered state of consciousness when you're around these things, these people, whatever you want to call them. Um, they have the ability that I've personally seen, and in my opinion, they have the ability to affect your perception of reality and therefore your perception of them. Um, I don't know or ascribe that what I saw in my bedroom at nine and what I saw in a book jacket years later are exactly what these things look like. I don't necessarily know that I buy that, um, but that is how they appear to people, to certain people. But I believe that they can make you see whatever they want you to see. And that, to me, smells like deception, and that, to me, doesn't bode well for uh, what I believe that they're here for. All right, let me ask the question because we only have about four minutes left here. Sure. What do you think they're here for? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they, and I'll have to qualify this if, if we get into this conversation again and we go further into what I've seen and whatnot. I believe that they are actively trying to dissuade people, at least they did in my case, they are actively trying to persuade people's belief system and spiritual belief system, technology belief system, to something else, which I don't particularly feel is of the positive nature. On more than one occasion, I've had people tell me that, um, uh, okay, they're demons. Um too small a term 
as far as I'm concerned. Uh, does it fit? It sort of fits, but it's not big enough. I don't believe that it's anything beneficial. Uh, I say this to a lot of people that during the time that I had them in my life and I saw things, I can say that there were plenty of other people around me who saw what I saw, uh, who were inexperiences with me, who had sightings with me, um, who were floored. And uh, we lost a lot of friends over this, uh, over the years, because they simply did not want to be around it. But at the same time, uh, I learned next to nothing about them, them being them. I learned volumes about me. I learned about what fear is. I learned about how I react to it. I learned uh, that I don't believe what they present themselves as, as being extraterrestrials, if that's what people want to define them as. I see a lot of people immediately jump to that conclusion, and I never did. Uh, I can see where people get that impression, but I do not believe that that's what they are. Um, and that's been... That's another show, you know, as to why I believe that. Um, you know what? I think it's a show that we're going to have to do in the near future, in the next few yeah. weeks. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeff Ritzman, UFO you. investigator. Let me remind our listeners here that if you have any questions or comments about the show, please send your message to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And by the way, Jeff occasionally participates in our message forums. So if you go to theparacast.com, click on the links to the forums, you could study all sorts of things, lots of fascinating subjects. And I have to tell you, Jeff, this is probably one of the most mm -hmm. interesting interviews I've ever done anywhere. Wow, really? Yes. Ah, well, um, I, the only thing I can tell you is that um, there's, there's there's no reason if anybody out there is having any kind of experience with these fellows that they need to embellish anything or they don't need to add to it to make it more interesting. I mean, that is as raw as I can tell it. That is as descriptive as I know to speak it. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I mean, by no means do I negate anybody else's experience, but it's made me extremely tenacious when it comes to hoaxes, because I do believe in the importance of what's happening, and I believe to have, you know, certain parties out there actively trying to fool people to make a buck mm -hmm. or to uh, gain popularity or make a living um, off of this is extraordinarily shallow, and um, you know, and, and I've I've been I've I've grown to be hated by quite a number of people in the field simply because of one hoax I caught years ago. One one friend said to uh, one friend said to me that uh, he had been privy to a set of emails sent by the hoaxer that I caught, <laughs> and uh, his answer to um, uh, why is why is Richmond still beating on you about it? He's like, this guy isn't satisfied with humiliating you and exposing you publicly. He wants you ground to dust. I think we're going to stop it there. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jeff yep. Ritzman for joining us on no the Powercast. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. 
And a reminder, once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a comment or a question about the episode, send your message to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. We invite you to visit our forums on theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. All you have to do is get on our site and click on the message forums to see what's going on. We'll have more excitement next week with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney on The Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.